This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. An important deal's been struck involving the growing technology of flying electric boats. We'll cover that in our next segment, but right now, a couple of closely watched retailers, Macy's and Dick's Sporting Goods, have released their latest quarterly reports. Let's size them up with the help of Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers Niffin. And worldwide based in New York. Jan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I guess both uh, retailers, Macy's and Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, had very similar second quarters, uh, but their uh, their look at the future is kind of a glass half empty or glass half full uh, approach to analyzing uh, the rest of 2022. Yeah, I think that's right. They both had down quarters compared to last year, but really good quarters compared to 2019 and better than people anticipated. Um, So the stocks, you know, thought that was fine. But they also said, yeah, it's been kind of tough. It's hard to manage inventories. Um, The consumers traded down a little bit, and we're concerned about how strong they'll be going through the back end of the year. So they weren't overly optimistic, but the street looked at it and said, I don't know. These guys did an awfully good job here. The consumer stayed with them. It seems like things are fine. Their consumer seems fine right now. We're just going to kind of let this ride. And I'd say that's where we came out. Macy's anticipates uh, customers pulling back maybe as the economy slows down or they have uh, spent down all of their stimulus money. Uh, Dick Sporting Goods had a very uh, interesting uh, anecdote that uh, I could identify with, which is uh, some of the things that they sell, you have to buy them uh, regardless of, of your balance sheet. And they mentioned that uh, if your daughter plays soccer and they have outgrown their cleats, you have to buy new cleats, not going to say, uh, just suck it up and deal with the smaller shoes. Well, that's true. But there's a lot of things there you don't have to buy. and Their sales <laughs> could be down a lot if you only bought the things that you really have to buy for your daughter to play soccer. And so what they're, what they're having, having to worry about is really how is that consumer going to react? And I think it's pretty simple. Unemployment's three and a half percent. Everybody has a job. Everybody thinks they're going to keep their job. And they think if they lost their job, they could get another one paying just as much. When that changes, we're going to be worried. So far, it hasn't changed. The real question every retailer has got in their mind is just that simple. Between now and Christmas, will the consumer still have a job? Will the consumer still think they could get another job if they lost their job? And would it pay just as much? And when they change their mind about that, they're going to slow down on what they're spending. So far, they haven't. Yes, consumer confidence hasn't been strong, but the pocketbook has continued to be good because everybody 
that wants a job has a job practically. And that's where we are right now. And so every retailer's got a little nervous going, when is the consumer going to crack? It's high inflation. Are we going to start seeing jobs go away? But right now, none of that's happened, and sales are pretty good. And back to school's pretty good, too. Jan Rogers-Niffin, the CEO of J. Rogers-Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon with your insights on the retail space. Coming up, an electric boat designed to reduce energy usage by as much as 80%. Oh, and by the way, it can fly. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. An electric boat maker is teaming up with a battery producer for a new partnership. Let's learn more from Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Um, How much uh, progress has been made in the electric boat space? I mean, there have been a lot of uh, electric car activity and investment. Uh, It's a worldwide push now, the infrastructure to scale up electric cars. But uh, is, is that same type of progress taking place when it comes to electric boats? Uh, first of all, short answer is yes, uh, but it's sudden. It's not been some sort of gradual rise in, in efficiency or power in the electric boat space. It's been sudden, um, meaning that they've, there's one company in particular that you were, you were mentioning in the intro, um, Polestar, which is a car company, obviously. It's a luxury EV maker uh, as, as part of Geely Holdings, and they, Geely Holdings owns Volvo. Uh, to put it in perspective, and pole stars look a lot like Volvos, but they are experts in batteries, uh, as they have to be if they're going to build EVs. Um, well, there's a, they've teamed up with an electric boat company called Candela, which is also a Swedish company. And Candela has, in the last 12 months, and I, I watched an interview by one of the engineers who's still shaking his head at, about the progress they've made in a year, but they've taken a boat that is electrified, it's a hybrid, they also have gas possible, but the point is that the battery drives it, and it goes up onto hydro, hydrofoils, basically little wings under the water, reducing the energy use of that boat going forward by 80%. And you know, the result is you now have, and they didn't think they could do it that quickly, that does answer your question, it's sudden. And 80% reduction in energy use means that a battery, it is heavy, but can actually move a boat very, very well and also reduce seasickness, which is kind of a nice side, side effect. Now, is this, uh, let's talk about the uh, applications of this above and beyond uh, an electric boat serving as another rich person's toy with a name like Buy Low uh, in a harbor in some resort town. Um, what can mm-hmm. this do as far as uh, moving lots of people across water that might not have done that before? And also, I was uh, up in New England, uh, not too far away from you in uh, southern Maine last month, and the lobstermen there were uh, complaining about the uh, high cost of uh, diesel fuel for their lobster boats. So could this uh, also be good uh, for uh, fishermen and and people who operate uh, freighters uh, as this technology matures? Oh, I, I was going to say, in fact, I'd point to that as the, as the primary ex- exciting, you know, sort of revolutionary almost uh, out, outgrowth of this partnership, meaning that it's business. Now, you know, individuals, yes, to your point, a wealthy individual can get a, a candela boat or may want to get a candela boat that goes up on hydroplanes. It's incredibly smooth, even in heavy chop on the water. It's very smooth because it rides above the water. That's the reason for the reduction of 80% energy. But really, if you're talking about big money and big savings, if energy costs are fluctuating and unpredictable, as obviously they are, an 80% reduction in the energy usage of a power boat magnify that to a shipping boat or a ferry, um, which is what's happening. And all of a sudden, you've got yourself a a huge business with its energy costs 
reduced by as much as 80%. That is a breakthrough worth noting, and, and it's de- definitely going to happen in shipping and in uh, and moving passenger, large, large numbers of passengers. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, major concerns involving the rising cost of natural gas. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Energy prices are being watched closely for their potential impact on the economy. Let's check in on the natural gas market with Tom Closa, longtime energy analyst with the Oil Price Information Service based in Wall, New Jersey. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Lots of dire warnings coming out from Europe about uh, uh, what winter has in store for them uh, based on the fact that the continent relies uh, uh, in in a great deal on uh, natural gas for uh, not only heating but cooling and all sorts of energy production. And most of that natural gas comes from Russia. And Russia, for uh, reasons known only to them, decided to uh, do some maintenance this week on uh, several vital natural gas pipelines. So what will that mean not only for the European economy moving forward, uh, but for uh, energy usage in America as well? Okay, well, I I would say this much, and this sounds like I'm making up these numbers, but natural gas prices in Europe uh, this week went above the oil equivalent price of about $500 a barrel. So it's it's really a crisis. And you have to remember the energy crisis isn't just oil. It's natural gas. It's uh, uh, carbon. It's uh, nuclear, you know, electricity, you name it. And right now it is uh, pretty dramatic over in Europe. Now, we pay probably about uh, $10 per million BTUs, which is something on the order of one eighth the price of natural gas uh, in Europe. So we've been buffered by the abundant natural gas resources in the country. And one way of looking at it is that we're really a privileged continent right now. Uh, Maybe not so privileged people think on gasoline prices or diesel prices, but we are really privileged on natural gas. And uh, that helps. Uh, And it also helps that there's limited capability to export natural gas in liquefied form. So we're going to watch Europe, and I think it's going to have a a little bit of dramatic impact on other molecules of oil that can be substituted overseas for natural gas, but probably not a direct impact in the U.S. Is uh, this is going to force some type of innovation uh, to either uh, force Europe to use natural gas more efficiency uh, efficiently or not use it at all? But uh, what's the time horizon for figuring out the next thing so they don't have to rely on Russian natural gas, assuming there's no uh, uh, ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine between now and December? Well, uh, you know, it's kind of like being back in college and finding out you have an exam the next day and you haven't studied for it. And I don't want to put culpability on the Europeans, but they had been very dependent upon Russia. So if they don't get those molecules of natural gas from Russia, uh, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, remember London almost had a blackout and they're really worried about it. The Belgians, uh, kind of them, were uh, willing to help uh, London out with some uh, electricity, but it was at the oil price equivalent of $1,600 per megawatt. So it's uh, it's going to be a wild, wild fall and winter in Europe. Uh, you know, they, they need to buy sweaters and snakelets and slankets or whatever. Uh, 
And I hope they get through because it really is an unfair situation. One uh, one number that really that really jumped out at me yesterday was uh, Citigroup saying that British consumer inflation could hit 18 percent next year uh, because of the uh, natural gas crunch that the uh, continent finds itself. Uh, central banks in Europe, you know, the only option they have in their toolbox is to uh, hike interest rates dramatically and slow down the economy to slow down consumption. Uh, That will have a ripple effect across the world. Yeah, it will. And I I think Europe is certainly going to be in a recession. It's a question of whether it's deep or it's shallow and whether they get out the other side of it. But, uh, you know, not because of their, their policy, but maybe because, you know, they allowed themselves to get so dependent upon Russia, which is something of a rogue state, let's admit it, you know, they're in these circumstances. And I, I certainly wish them well. Uh, and I I, did, I don't think that necessarily it's going to impact the U.S. so much, although, you know, you can be like dominoes, where if you have a recession in Europe, it pours over into the United States or some of the other G7 countries. So it's definitely worth monitoring. But right now, it does not look good. Tom Close, a longtime energy analyst with the Oil Price Information Service in Wall, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us today. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio. WBBM charges have been filed in a deadly hit and run outside of a bar on Chicago's South Side. Michigan Governor, the reaction to the verdict in a trial revolving around a plot to kidnap her. It's Travel Tuesday. Airfares are much more affordable heading into the fall and winter seasons. We'll also get the perspective of a longtime financial markets observer on the so called September slump. WBBM business. The markets are mixed. The Dow is down 81 points. The NASDAQ is up 43. The S&P 500 is up 2. AccuWeather says sunshine today, some clouds pleasantly warm, a high of 85. 70s along the lakefront, 81 degrees right now at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, a man from Chicago is charged in the deaths of three people outside of a bar in the South Shore neighborhood nine days ago. 34-year-old Tavis Dunbar is accused of driving his car into a crowd outside the Jeffrey Pub at 70th and Jeffrey. A fourth person was injured. CPD Chief of Detectives Brendan Dinahan was asked if the suspect is connected to any of the victims. The offender was in the bar establishment prior to the act occurring, and many of the individuals who were fighting on the street were also inside the bar. But there was no altercation between the defendant and those individuals in the bar. There actually was no altercation in the bar. And out on the street from the video evidence that we have, it does not appear that the people fighting on the street, that this offender was involved in that either. He went to his vehicle and then he immediately you know, caused this horrific act. Dunbar is charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer is praising 
using the guilty verdicts against two men who plotted to kidnap her. She's also warning that violent threats have no place in her politics. Adam Fox and Barry Croft Jr. were found guilty of all charges in a Grand Rapids federal court this morning. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are mixed at this hour. We're joined by Gary Kultbaum, the president of Kultbaum Capital Management in Orlando, Florida. Find him online, GaryK.com. Gary, thanks for joining us today. It seems that uh, markets are catching their breath today after uh, yesterday's sell-off. What is driving this sudden change of heart? Uh, For the entire month of July and into August, it seemed like uh, investors seemed pretty confident about the trajectory of the economy. Interest rates and oil prices. Interest rates came down on the 10-year, that's your mortgages, from almost 35 down to 2.5. They're now back above 3. Market doesn't like that. And oil prices have now started to turn up again. Market doesn't like that. But when cost of everything starts to go up, the perception of markets is profits go down, less money in the consumer's pocket uh, comes down, less money to spend. And then you get the uh, market in what I call mushy time. And that's why you've had this uh, pretty good pullback. But keep in mind, we had a pretty good run off the lows. We were overdue uh, to pull back some. The big question is, everybody's uh, asking whether it's a bear market rally or the start of something good. I'm more in the camp of bear market rally, and there's a lot more to get worked out. But uh, uh, again, that's... uh, for the market to decide as we move forward. Is uh, is this simply uh, marking time this week until the Jackson Hole speech by Jay Powell on Friday? Or do investors anticipate uh, any surprises coming out of that uh, talk outside of uh, the general hawkish attitude and the belief yeah. that we'll see another uh, 75 basis point hike uh, coming soon? Well, unfortunately, the market still hangs on every word of one man and his whims that would have been pretty wrong for a while that created all kinds of distortion. So yeah, what, what he uh, says, believe it or not matters when we'd rather be talking about earnings and sales of great American companies. Uh, we got to worry about when one man thinks. So uh, the big story is, is that uh, at least I, we believe that he's got more to do as far as um, raising rates, uh, which is usually not the greatest thing in the world for markets. But keep in mind, he's just only playing catch up to what the market has already done. He was so, I mean, just so way behind uh, the markets. And that's the real world out there. When we talk mortgages, we look at the 10-year yield. When we talk loans, uh, those are the numbers we look at, not necessarily what uh, Jay Powell has to say. Now, I was out with a, a friend who was also a, a noon business hour guest at dinner last night, and he suggested that what uh, – the the Fed should do is go well above and beyond the 75 basis point uh, increase and uh, just rip the Band-Aid off, that you got to find some way to, to get inflation under control and uh, go with the draconian measures and then adjust as the conditions warrant. Well, as I said, they've been way behind. They're playing catch up. If I was, number one, if it was me, I would have never got us into this place. But now that they have, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. The more you do now, the less you have to do later. And he's been tiptoeing. By the way, you know, there's all this talk about uh, lowering their balance sheet by selling off. They were supposed to start that two to three months ago. They haven't even started. That's the real big one, because if they have to start selling a ton of that balance sheet, 
that means yields are going to go even higher, and that's going to affect the economy and markets even more. So that's something to be watched closely. And I think there's a rhyme and a reason why he hasn't started that yet. He know what he knows what the repercussions are potentially. And then very quickly, you know, for for those of us who uh, aren't you know up to speed on on bond yields and the Fed Fed's balance sheet, uh, if the Fed starts tapering, uh, how will the average consumer notice that in the economy? Uh, yields will go higher when they look in the newspaper or online what mortgage rates are. Oh, they went up another tick this week. They went up another tick. And if anything, you've noticed recently is housing has uh, hit the wall based on, number one, affordability, and number two, higher mortgage rates. So if mortgage rates keep going higher, it becomes more unaffordable to buy, and that affects housing even more. And then you get into a so-called uh, vicious cycle. And that's the last thing we need right now is the people to feel even less wealthy than they are right now uh, based on market conditions. Gary Kalpam, president of Kalpam Capital Management based in Orlando. Find him online at GaryK.com. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, exploring the trend of more reasonable airfares. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. It's a good time to go to Europe. Thanks to the value of the dollar and a drop in airfares, we're joined by Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Uh, What is the state of the travel market between uh, Chicago and Europe or the United States and Europe? Uh, Are we seeing this uh, same level of demand that uh, we're experiencing on uh, domestic routes? You know, there's kind of two forces at play, and uh, somewhat surprisingly, uh, the forces helping the consumer <laughs> seem to be dominant now. You know, Europe airports have cut back flights. They have required airlines to pull back because they just can't handle the crowds at the airports. And, of course, fuel prices have been fairly high. So that made summer travel pretty painful to Europe. What's happening now, though, is that the economy softened a bit, and uh, uh, Europe is uh, flights are uh, pretty intensive across the Atlantic. It's led some real bargains for the fall. So there's a lot of recommendations. If you want to go to Europe, uh, this is a pretty good time. And uh, I, I, tell me a little bit about uh, Play, this uh, new discount airline uh, that's uh, increasing its uh, footprint in the United States. Are we going to see more uh, discount carriers jumping into the uh, America to Europe market compared to some of the uh, legacy airlines? Oh, we really are. In fact, what we have uh, is a bunch of new airlines here in the United States, uh, with Breeze and Avalo being the most prominent ones, focusing on leisure destinations. And now we're seeing more uh, discounters head across the Atlantic. And what's happened is there's some new airplane models, uh, like the new uh, A320 Long Range and uh, uh, Boeing's uh, 737s, that in a lot of cases you can get authorization to fly these smaller jets across the Atlantic on some routes, and that's led to uh, airlines being able to jump in without buying these giant planes. And so we're seeing uh, real uh, entry into those segments uh, by discount airlines, you know, despite a couple bankruptcies that put a couple under uh, during the pandemic. And uh, once again, uh, People Express, with their uh, transatlantic flights uh, 35 years ago, uh, was a pioneer in that genre. On the domestic side of things, uh, kids are going back to school. Mine went back today. Uh, summer vacation season definitely winding down. Uh, what deals uh, can be had domestically? And uh, if we do fly in the fall, are we going to encounter the uh, Sunday tradition of, uh, oh, by the way, your flight's been canceled? And that's where we just saw this week, really, uh, the big three, American United and Delta, um, 
pull back significant flights in the fall. Uh, Southwest hasn't. And it's partly in response to just the uh, the terrible June we had. And, you know, the Secretary of Transportation, Buttigieg, is making comments there could be regulation if they don't improve the customer experience. So what that's led is, I think, to some pain in these smaller markets. If you're looking to go, uh, you know, from, from secondary points, you say Dayton, Ohio, or to uh, Akron, or to Des Moines, you know, the, the amount of lift or the amount of seats we have has been greatly reduced. So there will be some pain uh, to those markets. But, boy, the big routes, Chicago to Florida and so forth, things are looking better than they were just a few weeks ago uh, just because the economy slowed down a bit and fuel prices have ebbed. And then very quickly, I'm just saying as somebody who got zapped by this particular practice on Sunday, and that is what happens, uh, you know, they cancel your airline for your, your, your flight for weather purposes or personnel purposes, but then there simply just aren't enough seats to reaccommodate you. Uh, there's just no slack in the system. Uh, can they build that slack uh, back to what it was? Yeah, that was the late June story. You know, we had so many cancellations, there was no place to put the people. And then we started the late flight phenomena. So they ran the flights, but so many were late, people missed their connections. And that's where, where they're kind of a double-edged sword. It's good they cut back for the fall from an operational standpoint. There'll be fewer cancellations because if they, you know, have problems, they'll have spare pilots. But, boy, once flight uh, flights are canceled, there'll be fewer seats to send those people, and uh, where, you know, to get them to their destination at a reasonable time. And the, the federal laws are really vague on um, uh, compensation required to provide in case of just a few hours delay. So I think, though, the fall thing slowed down enough, the airlines will be fine to accommodate passengers uh, but things will get tricky during Thanksgiving and Christmas when we have that boom again. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It could be a rough going for stocks in September, if history is any indication. We welcome in Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. What is it about the month of September that's uh, historically uh, made a kind of a rough go for investors? Well, that is the $64,000 question, and it is the question to ask, because it turns out that no matter how strong the statistics are, and I have to say the statistics supporting the notion that September is a bad month, the statistics are very strong indeed. But nonetheless, statistics alone are not not a sufficient reason to bet on a pattern continuing. I mean, statisticians can come up with lots and lots of examples of where something looks like uh, it's a it's an unbelievable pattern and it stops working the moment you you start following it. And I think that's going to be the case with September. September has, as you point out, a terrible history for the stock market. It's the worst month of the calendar by far relative to any other month on average. And yet. Uh, Try as people might over the years, no one has come up with a convincing explanation for why it should be. And for that reason, I think we should probably just note it as an interesting thing in passing, but probably not try to bet on it. So when uh, in a year in which we have seen a great deal of uh, external shocks, uh, could we expect a uh, supercharged uh, September slump? Well, (laughs) it's always possible. It turns out I I uh, sliced and diced it for a recent column where I looked at all of the uh, various variables you might look at, whether the the market's coming off a rally, whether the market's in a bear market, or whether you're in a midterm election year like this year. And 
virtually every way you slice and dice it, you come up with relatively similar results that the stock market doesn't do well in September. It doesn't do particularly worse in some of these subsets than others, but nonetheless, it's it's not something that, uh, you know, I, I guess basically my bottom line is I wouldn't try to bet on it. It's just no one really can come up with a good explanation for why September uh, should be so bad. It's just, uh, it's just the thing that happens, and it sounds like over history there are a lot of different reasons why, but uh, if we're, if we're uh, dazed and confused uh, come October 1st and trying to analyze the markets, just say, hey, it's September. Well, that's right. In fact, I mean, one of my favorite examples of uh, there's a statistician who went back and looked at every single data series in a World Bank encyclopedia. So it was all the data series for every country around the world and found that the data series most correlated with the S&P 500 was butter production in Bangladesh. Well, no one would, of course, ever think that that's a good indicator. But nonetheless, if you're looking at statistics alone, that would be the one you'd have to follow. All right. I'm opening up the checkbook right now. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Thanks for joining us today, based in Washington. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The Step Back 3. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 